When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it was written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day, at that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for redemption of Jerusalem. When they'd finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I hope... I hope yesterday was a joyful occasion for you. I think yesterday I spent the majority of time on Zoom or uh, FaceTime with majority of our family members. We got to watch uh, Adair's nephew, who's three, open Santa's gift, which was a Buzz Lightyear toy, which was incredible, <laughs> which I also had as a kid, so I'm amazed that that's still popular. Um, we had a wonderful day, and I hope you have too. I hope the meaning of this season is is present in your heart. I saw a comic by the marketoonist the other day, and it's just one panel. It's a man and a woman, and they're leaving a meeting. And one says to the other, that was a great meeting. Now, let's tear apart everything we tacitly supported just five minutes ago. Every meeting I've ever been a part of, it seems like, whether it's church committee or board meeting or school or whatever, has demonstrated the following. There's never one meeting. <laughs> There's the meeting, and then there's the meeting after the meeting. There's the meeting in the annex building for an hour, hour and a half, and then there's the five or ten minute parking lot meeting. The actual meeting is usually very proper, very calm, very politically savvy, occasionally idealistic. The parking lot meeting, however, the meeting after the meeting is always filled with the let me tell you what I really think kind of discussion. The first meeting is filled with filtered and conventional talk. The after meeting is filled with everything you never got to say, and now you can say it. In the passage we read for today, there are two oracles, two prophetic words given in this passage, both by the same man, Simeon. Simeon is old, he's been around a while, he's been waiting 
Like so many others in the first century Jewish culture, he has been waiting for a glimpse of salvation. And across the temple, he finds it. In the arms, the two parents coming to participate in the standard rituals of the Jewish faith, he sees a tiny, swaddled baby born not long ago in Bethlehem. And then Simeon conducts two oracles, two prophecies, two meetings, if you will. There's the main oracle, the proper, the idealistic oracle, the one that everyone needs to hear, and it's not too scary or outlandish. And then there's the oracle after the oracle, the prophecy after the prophecy, the real talk. For the first, Simeon takes the child in his arms and he prays aloud to God. You heard it. Oh, Lord, as you promised me before, you can now let me go in my old age. You told me a long time ago that I would meet the Messiah, and now I have. I have seen salvation. This child will be a light to the Romans and a glory to Israel. He will be blessed. The first prophecy sort of follows in the footsteps of the first chapter, as well as the birth narrative that we celebrated the day before yesterday. The first oracle is beautiful. It reminds us of the wondrous feelings the shepherds felt the night of Christmas, the night of the birth of Jesus, the angels singing, the lights bright in the sky, a miracle, the incarnation. It sort of captures the feelings we shared two nights ago of angels. Do not fear, for unto you this day in the city of David a Savior has been born to you. I mean, Simeon also captures the sheer joy that comes with the birth of any child. <laughs> you cannot help but be thankful. You can't help but look at that child and see innocence and goodness and blessing. Someone once said, a baby is the beginning of all things. Wonder, hope, a dream of possibilities. <laughs> but then, then comes the prophecy after the prophecy. The second oracle sets the stage for the rest of Luke, doesn't it? This baby... His teachings will undo everything you've ever known. No more cute baby Jesus. Simeon looks at Mary, just the two of them, after the prophecy, after the nice blessing, and says, this is going to be really hard. This child is going to be a light, all right, but more like a light in an interrogation room. And he's also going to be a sword. He's going to be misunderstood and contradicted, and his words are going to bring about hard truths and anger and resentment, the deconstruction and reconstruction of faith as we know it. So there's the prophecy, this child is a wonderful light to the world, and the prophecy after the prophecy, not in any way that we can comprehend. The first prophecy follows the Psalms in some ways. And Psalm 72 says, in his days may uprightness flourish and abundant peace come. Zechariah 8 declares the time of his coming as the sowing of peace. Isaiah calls him Prince of Peace. In chapter 9, Simeon now has peace and may depart in peace. There is calm and comfort and peace. Echoes of Isaiah 52, the Lord has comforted his people. He's redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has revealed his holy arm in the sight of all Gentiles and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation that comes from our God. There's to be a future of holiness and hope and comfort and peace for all who stream to the mountain, this child will bring peace. But the second prophecy reminds us that this comfort, this peace, this salvation comes not just with holy 
And good implications, it comes with rejection and disaster and catastrophe, an oracle of division. It reminds us of what Jesus would say later. You think I've come to bring peace? He said, no, actually, I'm here to bring division of homes, of families, of friends, mother against daughter and daughter against mother. And this division, he said, this division, this sword will pass through Mary's soul as well. So Mary begins her day in traditional Jewish ritual, but ends her time finding herself in the middle of two oracles between two prophecies, between great expectations and fearful possibilities. I feel for Mary. I really do, because I think that without Simeon's pronouncements, without his prophecies, Mary already probably had expectations for her own, of her own for her son. Parenting is already an inner battle between great expectations and fearful possibilities. And all of a sudden, this old man in a temple makes these large, future-oriented predictions about this tiny child born not long ago to a new and likely scared mother and father. Talk about expectations. And all of this, along with everything that has already happened, with the angel's visit and the shepherds, Luke says, Mary gathered these things together and pondered them in her heart at the end of the birth narrative. No doubt she would continue to do so, to ponder the events of the last few weeks and add to that Simeon's grand prophecies for her son. <laughs> That's a lot to hold. It's kind of interesting after the prophecy, and the prophecy after the prophecy, after Simeon is done pronouncing these incredible things about this baby, and after Anna does the same in her own way, after Mary hears people predicting big news, wonderful and terrible things about her son's future, shepherds and prophets, what does Mary do? Well, the conclusion goes like this. When Joseph and Mary had finished doing everything required by the law, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. After all that, Mary and Joseph, they don't argue with Simeon. They don't run home, pack everything, and leave home in hopes of keeping Jesus from his division-centered fate. Matthew says different, but Luke doesn't tell us whether or not they sat up every night pondering the future of their son. Luke says Mary and Joseph simply return home and go about the work of raising Jesus and a family after this incredible and extraordinary moment, a moment that would be overwhelming to just about anybody, with these great expectations, they enter back into the ordinary. They leave the realm of the overwhelming, the grand, the prophetic, and they go home and live their lives. <laughs> and it's there in the ordinary that Mary's child grows up. He grows strong and wise. The grace of God is upon him in the ordinary town of Nazareth in Galilee, at home with his mom and dad, siblings, learning the family trade, living day in and day out in the midst of ordinary human life. God, the maker of the universe, enters into our time and space and into the ordinary. And I wonder if it's because perhaps it is in the ordinary that God does God's best work. Cynthia Ozick says the ordinary is the divine. And if we're honest with ourselves, there really is nothing ordinary about the ordinary. Hmm. 
All around us, always, life is sharing prophecy after prophecy, oracle after oracle. Nature is proclaiming resurrection and redemption. Newborns are reminding us that God is with us. Sure, we have these occasional big celebrations, huge moments, prophecies, parties, weddings, Christmas Eve services, graduations, but the true holiness, the true life with God might just be crafted in the ordinary. Perhaps God does God's best work on you and on me when we least expect it in the ordinary. Abraham Joshua Heschel says this, our goal should be to live life in radical amazement, to get up in the morning and look at the world in a way that takes nothing for granted. Everything is phenomenal. Everything is incredible. Never treat life casually. To be spiritual is to be amazed. Everything is extraordinary, especially the ordinary. In 1982, some of you might have seen this story. Nancy Gavin published an article about a little Christmas tradition her family has. Every year there's a white envelope in the tree. It started because Nancy's husband, Mike, was not a huge fan of the commercialism, the overspending of Christmas. Nancy knew how he felt, so she bypassed the usual shirts and ties and sweaters and found something special to give Mike. You see, their son, it started when he was a middle school wrestler and their team had just utterly destroyed the other team. This team they had beaten didn't seem to have much. She describes them as ragtag. They didn't have the proper equipment. They didn't even have headgear. And it felt bad to beat a team that bad. Mike commented that day that he wished he could do something to coach or just to help that team. They had potential. They had possibility. And on Christmas Eve, Nancy placed one plain, ordinary, white envelope in the tree. And on Christmas morning, Mike opened it and read a note sharing that for Christmas this year, instead of getting the usual things for Mike, she had purchased a full team's worth of gear for that wrestling team. That was Mike's gift. And she says, Mike's smile was brighter than Christmas, that Christmas than it had ever been at any previous Christmases. Year after year, she says, Nancy upheld that tradition. One year, she sent a group of kids to a hockey game. Another year, a check to some folks who had just lost their home to a fire. That envelope, Nancy says, became the highlight of every Christmas. Even after they had kids, they had three of them. Every Christmas, the whole family would open their presents, but the last thing opened was always that ordinary white envelope. They were so excited to see what it would be this year. And she says the year they lost Mike to cancer, Nancy could barely get the tree up. But Christmas Eve, she placed that ordinary white envelope in the tree. And Christmas morning, she awoke to find that three more had joined it. Each of the three kids had placed an envelope in the tree for their dad. Four plain white envelopes. But the contents, I'm sure, were far from ordinary. Friends, on this day, the day after Christmas, I hope you know that after all was said and done, Mary and Joseph took their son home and they lived their lives in the ordinary. They raised him. That is where the Gospels come from. That is where God chose to make God's home, not in the headlines, but in the living of ordinary life and in the teaching of how to live it the best we can. So may you understand this day that in a stable in Bethlehem long ago, God chose to enter into the ordinary everyday world. God chose to make this place God's home. May God work in your life in such a way 
that how you live in the day in and day out becomes of ultimate importance. May you see the ordinary as divine. May you find ways to honor God in creative ways, ways that look like plain white envelopes. And may God choose to make God's home in your life, a life that may seem ordinary, but is in reality far from it. May you live a life in radical amazement, and may you live the ordinary in an extraordinary way. Let us pray. Gracious God, we're thankful for the incarnation. We're thankful for you meeting us where we are. We're thankful for examples in our lives, examples that leave us plain white envelopes, ordinary things filled with extraordinary messages. And God, this morning we give you thanks. Use us as you did those envelopes. Use us as vessels of your grace, your truth, your love, your joy, your hope. And may we ever understand that the ordinary is in fact extraordinary. In Jesus' name, amen.